You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the growing health risk from smoke drifting across the province. The wildfires are pushing the air quality well into the danger zone in some parts of B.C. Even the lower mainland is cloaked in smoke. You can see clearly that haze on our tower cams. This covers Metro Vancouver right now. Our Catherine Urquhart is in English Bay tonight with more on this. Catherine, any word on how the wildfire smoke might impact tonight's fireworks? Well, Sophie, that wildfire smoke certainly has cast a gray light over the city and visibility is diminished. However, fireworks officials say that the smoke will not negatively impact the fireworks. They say that it could make it even better. And that's because the smoke will create a darker background and the explosions could be even more spectacular. Now the Honda Celebration of Light begins at 10 o'clock tonight and the show will be hosted by the UK. Back to you. All right, we'll see how it goes. Thanks, Catherine. Well, that smoke also prompting an advisory for the grouse grind. If you plan on going, be warned, the air quality could have serious health effects. The harder you breathe, the deeper you're breathing in that fine particulate matter. So it's probably not the right time for you to go for a personal best. Well, the situation is even worse in the eastern Fraser Valley, where the air quality index is posting some seriously troubling numbers right now hitting a nine out of a possible 10. John Wah is in Abbotsford with more on this. And John, visibility and breathing for some people is an issue out there. Yeah, that's right. The air quality health index has actually just gone down to a seven from that nine earlier today. But we want to show you what that really looks like. We're here at Mountain View Home here in Abbotsford, where there are people inside who are being cared for that have respiratory issues. And despite the name of this facility, as you can see, there's not much of a view of the mountains left. It might look like a precaution for paint fumes, but this mask is for protection against the outside air. A few minutes ago, I was having a headache too, and the smoke is too much. The air quality in the Fraser Valley is so poor, some of his staff already standing down. I have two guys. They come in the morning, but then they have to go at noon because it's too much. Metro Vancouver blanketed by an air quality advisory. Usually I like summer, but... Right now, it's pretty tough to handle. It's very smoky. I can definitely smell it in the air. I'm having a hard time breathing. The health index reaching high-risk levels of 9 out of 10 in the eastern part of the valley. We've certainly seen the air quality degrade uh, throughout the course of today. Uh, we saw smoke overnight mixed down to the ground, so certainly um, conditions are worse in the Fraser Valley. Visibility outside Mountain View Home in Abbotsford is limited. I'm feeling a bit dizzy already. Yeah, well, it's really, really smoky out there. But the risk to those inside with respiratory issues is perfectly clear. Hey, Barry, you okay? It looks like somebody actually has a fire going, like a bonfire. So it, it's, you can't get away from it. We take many precautions to ensure their safety. Children, seniors and those working outside for extensive periods also told to be careful. You can seek relief by going indoors in air-conditioned spaces. With the smoky air expected to linger, the outlook for the next few days, as nice as the view from this home. It was designed to see Baker, but you can't see Baker at all. You can't even see the, the valley behind us. Some people might be compelled to make a run for the border for some relief, John, but uh, we're seeing similar conditions uh, down there as well. Yeah, that's right. The smoke from our B.C. wildfires is being pushed by the wind all the way down south to the Puget Sound region. 
because of that haze, they've had to put a burn ban in effect to not degrade the air quality any further. And they are even saying that it's delaying their air traffic. But there is one plus side. They were expecting a heat wave in Seattle to start to today. And they say because of that haze, that's created a cooling effect, which at the very least is bringing it down a couple of degrees. Chris? Same thing here. All right. John Juan, Abbotsford. Thanks, John. Now, it's a lot worse where our Nadia Stewart is tonight. Nadia, you're near Cache Creek tonight, and that's where a lot of that wildfire smoke is coming from. And now there are concerns because the fire there has jumped the highway. What's happening? Yeah, the fire has jumped the highway and where it's spreading to has actually prompted uh, some evacuation orders just within uh, the last little while. Evacuation orders south and west of Clinton uh, as well in through Marble Canyon. There are about 20 homes there, all on a First Nation. That's in uh, Pavilion, B.C., just uh, not too far actually from where I'm standing, just here on Highway uh, 99. We just uh, made our way down there, saw folks doing all they could to protect their homes, spraying down their homes, uh, doing whatever they could in these last minutes before they had to evacuate. Now, in terms of the fire jumping the highway, we learned uh, about that this morning, but it happened yesterday. A control, a back burn, a controlled burn uh, was underway at Loon Lake Road and 90, Highway 97. Uh, that back burn is something that uh, forestry officials tell me that they do on a regular basis. It's pretty standard fare, but they said yesterday the winds shifted direction and the fire got away from them. It did jump the highway, jump Highway 97 and went up the hill. You're probably seeing some video now uh, that was taken by a viewer. They sent it to us uh, or allowed us to use it actually um, off of their Facebook page. The concerns being raised now is that that fire is spreading and folks are, are worried that back burns might not be the best way to fight this fire. However, I did speak with forestry officials. I spoke with the site information officer for the Elephant Hill wildfire. She says that they have been doing backburns and they do them very carefully. They think this process all the way through. We've been conducting control burns on this fire, as well as at the Gustafson fire, for example, where it was extremely successful. And the overall successes that we have far outreach the odd escape that we uh, do have occur on occasion. Now, I'm told that crews, even after that backburn happened and, and got away from the fire crews there, I'm told that crews were working on that fire yesterday evening. They were working on that fire through the night and continued to work on it through the day today. I'm also told that uh, the properties in and around the area, those are being protected right now. There were concerns raised to me by viewers that these backburns could also affect the mill in Chasm, but I am told by the site information officer that the mill in Chasm is still protected, and they're doing everything that they can uh, to ensure that any backburns that are done, that no damage happens to property. But as you can imagine, and as they said repeatedly to me on the phone uh, today, Sophie, uh, the winds being the biggest challenge in this area, it shifts on them very quickly. This fire continues to be, the Elephant Hill wildfire continues to be very challenging for crews to fight. A lot of factors to contend with. Nadia, thank you. Now to that grim discovery early this morning after a car fire in Surrey, a body found inside the vehicle. Julia Foy is near the scene tonight, and Julia, this comes just days after police released a list of potential targets of violence. Absolutely, Chris. Now, is this some kind of disturbing coincidence? At this point, I asked the question of IHIT investigators, and they said it's simply too early to know. They're trying to identify the victim, so they're not really sure who this person is and if they do have a connection to one of the five gang-related people they were concerned about. All they're willing to say is this is a homicide. 
The blackened remains of an SUV can be seen beneath an integrated homicide investigation team tent. Officers have been poring over the scene since reports of a car fire came in shortly after midnight. When they arrived, they discovered a body inside. A priority right now is to determine the identity of the victim and to then lo locate and notify the family. The vehicle was parked just off 24th Avenue near 188th in South Surrey. News of the homicide has shaken people who work nearby. Mind-blowing that it's around here. This is a safe community. It's, uh, it's, it's a terrible news and um, yeah, it's very unfortunate. And he texted me said they found a body, so... Right now, uh, as the details and investigation is early, we cannot say if the investigation uh, or if the homicide was a random event or if it was a targeted act of violence. This homicide happened just days after Surrey RCMP warned the public about five men who they believe could be targets of violence. There are family members, there are associates, uh, there are friends of these individuals that may not fully appreciate the risk that they are in and associating with them. The homicide scene happened in a rural area, but it borders on a bustling light industrial area where workers say it's often deserted at night. It's very, very quiet. There's nobody coming. Sometimes, as a, like only a couple of times, I was working quite late, but I was the only one, so everybody's gone. Most of the restaurants shut down early, um, but. Yeah, this place clears out at like 5. Police are hoping someone may have noticed strange activity in the area before midnight. And we're going to be looking for people that may have been driving by the area and noticed maybe vehicles just uh, sitting off to the roadside or maybe what time that was, was at or if it was occupied by people. Stuff like that. That's going to be things that we're looking for from people that were in the area. Anyone with information is asked to call the Surrey RCMP or the IHIT tip line. Now, just in the last few minutes, a flatbed truck was able to remove the burnt-out vehicle from in the bushes just off of 24th Avenue. Now, what we could see on the video is that it was severely burned at the front end of the what we believe is an SUV. In fact, we'd seen a light indicator going off early this morning. Uh, it wasn't covered when police removed it from the scene. They'll obviously be taking it for more forensic investigation. We're hoping, of course, to be able to tell you in the next day or two who it was that lost their life overnight and hopefully have a bit more information about what led up to this most recent murder in Surrey. Back to you, Chris. All right, we'll wait on those new details. Julia Foy, thank you, Julia. Now, some breaking news involving a member of the new Westminster Police Department. One of their own has been arrested and criminally charged. Our Jay Durant has more from the newsroom tonight. Jay, this arrest in connection with an alleged incident back in 2005 in Victoria. That's right, Sophie. Constable Sukwinder Dusange, who also goes by Vinny, was arrested yesterday by Victoria Police. He's been charged with one count of sexual assault after an alleged off-duty incident in the capital city more than a decade ago. Dusange is no stranger to controversy. He was one of two officers involved in a fatal shooting at a Burnaby gas station in October 2006. 37-year-old Daniel King was shot five times by two officers following a chase that saw King's vehicle drive head-on into traffic. In 2007, Dessange was awarded by the Canadian Police Association for his role in the incident. A year later, a coroner's inquest jury ruled the police shooting death of King was a homicide and recommended patrol cars be equipped with video and audio recording equipment. Dessange has been released on bail and is set to appear in Victoria Provincial Court later this month. He's been suspended from duty and will also be subject to an investigation under the Police Act. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Jada Rant reporting tonight.
Now to a developing police incident in Yaletown. Yellow tape is up and traffic is being rerouted in the area of Homer and Robson. Police there say they are involved in a standoff with a man who's barricaded himself in an apartment. The public is being advised to avoid the area right now if you can, and we'll have more on this story as more information becomes available. Surrey RCMP are asking for the public's help identifying a suspect in an assault and robbery in the Newton area. RCMP say the female victim was grabbed in the 13700 block of 72A Avenue and threatened with an X-Acto knife. He forced her up to her apartment where family members scared him off. The suspect is described as a dark-skinned black male, 5 feet 4 inches tall, about 130 to 140 pounds, 25 to 30 years old with a medium build, no facial hair. If you think you recognize this man, you're asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. The biggest mega project in the province is about to be sent to the BC Utilities Commission for independent review. More than 2,000 jobs are involved, and the commission will examine the project's economics to see if it should pr proceed or be halted. Nitu Garcha has more on when the commission will return with those findings. Our government is delivering on our commitment to British Columbians by ordering an independent review of Site C. BC's new government making good on a big promise. A BC Utilities Commission review of the Site C dam is to begin next week. That is our expectation, uh, that they will be holding public hearings. They'll be um, doing some workshops in both uh, the Lower Mainland as well as the Northern communities so that uh, people from those communities can be engaged and involved in this process. They'll also be accepting written submissions. The move announced by Energy Minister Michelle Mungal throwing the future of the mega project into doubt. The commission is dealing with a tight timeline. The preliminary report due in just six weeks. The final report due in 12 weeks, Cabinet will make a decision soon after. Now, the Commission has three options on the table for the dam. Proceed, suspend, or terminate and remediate the site. And this BCUC review is the beginning of the end, say some opponents of the dam. This dam is not in the interests of BC's jobs, economy, ratepayers, or our environment. But for contractors, it's all about the jobs. Today, 2,400 men and women got up, went to work, um, on the uh, on the Site C Dam, and we brought 2,400 pink slips to kind of remind people, like these are real lives, real families that depend on this income. Uh, the review is unnecessary. Uh, this project's been a decade in the planning. An independent panel took three years and reviewed the project. As for the minister, she says there are a lot of questions that need to be answered, like whether BC Hydro is on target to complete the dam on budget and by 2024. This is an appropriate measure to take so that British Columbians can get the questions they have around Site C answered. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Last night, we reported the NDP government fired former Liberal leader Gordon Wilson from his lucrative LNG job. Today, Wilson took issue with some comments by CKNW's Steele and Drex about his firing and what he did for his $550,000 paycheck. So they invited him to the program. Did that lead to any massive contracts being signed for the province to sell its liquid natural gas? Did that lead to any signed contracts at all? It, it led to a numerous letting of contracts. There, there have been, there's been all kinds of work done in, in the province of British Columbia. You guys need to take your blinkers off. Hey Gordon, what do you say to people who say that your salary was a waste of money and it was essentially a patronage appointment that you were given that job by a political friend being Christy Clark? Well, they're entitled to their opinion.
If you would like to listen to the entire unedited exchange, it's available on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Two weeks and still no answers in the Marissa Shen murder case. The 13-year-old, a victim of what police describe as a random attack, her body found in a park near her home. Tonight, a former RCMP investigator offers some insight into why so little information is being released in just over a minute. A lightning strike caught on camera. What happened to the airport worker in the wrong place at the wrong time? Later. And walking among giants, where you can find this brand new path through one of BC's best old growth forests. And who built it? Coming up on the News Hour. Well, it's been two weeks to the day since 13-year-old Marissa Shen was found murdered in Burnaby Central Park. And with no arrests and no suspects named, a former RCMP profiler was now sharing his expertise and the questions he still has. Global's Rumina Dea is in Burnaby with that story. Rumina. Sophie Scott Filer spent 30 years with the RCMP, more than a decade as a geographical profiler, working murder cases around the world, including the Picton file. Tonight, he shares his insight as to how investigators are trying to catch Chen's killer. Was she encountered at the same place that the attack actually occurred? Um, was she dumped at the same place the attack occurred? The former RCMP profiler turned security consultant says the geography of a crime is critical to finding the killer. Typically, the more locations involved in the crime, the higher the level of planning and the more sophisticated the offender's thinking process. I hit not releasing details on the crime scene. Investigators will only say 13-year-old Marissa Shen was found in the bushes in Burnaby's Central Park on July 19th. The attack, random. For a crime to occur, you have to have three things happen. There has to be a motivated offender, a suitable victim or target, and the absence of guardians. There's no public about, you know, there's nobody around to interfere or be a witness to the case. The public growing increasingly frustrated with the lack of information because Shen's killer hasn't been arrested. IHIT will only say the case is advancing. I can say we've received tips, but the nature of those tips, I can't speak to those. The most unnerving, unanswered question for residents, what was the motive? If they think that it was a sexually motivated crime, they'll be looking to identify uh, offenders that live or frequent that area. You know, they'll be looking to determine if that child uh, routinely went through the park, why she was in the park on this particular night at that time. You know, was she taken off the street? Um, there, there's so many unanswered questions. IHIT is still looking for help from the public. They're asking anyone with dash cam video, iPhone footage or pictures from the area on July 18th to please come forward. Sophie. Romina, thanks for that. Vancouver police are investigating a three-vehicle crash that involved a police cruiser. It began when officers spotted a suspicious vehicle going at a high rate of speed in East Vancouver. They caught up with it at East 13th and Victoria, where it ended with a collision between the cruiser, the suspect vehicle, and another car. The suspect driver and two officers had to be taken to hospital for assessment. The driver of the third car was not hurt. The suspect is now facing a charge of dangerous driving. Some dramatic moments in Victoria Harbour today when a yacht catches fire. Apparently the boat was refueling 
when the flames broke out, filling the sky with thick, toxic smoke. To prevent any loss or damage to the fueling jetty, the boat was untied and allowed to drift out into the inner harbor. You see where it came to rest. The Victoria Fire Rescue Boat attacked the flames from the water, and a ground-based crew threw water on it from shore. The boat is a total loss, now partially submerged. We're hearing no reports of injuries. Well, the lower mainland city running out of water. Now, I don't think we're going to be able to remove it completely, but we're certainly going to get that level down as far as we can. Why this beachside community is facing a crisis later. And another night at the celebration of light. What about that smoke? Four years of hard work are finally about to pay off on Vancouver Island with the official opening of the Avatar Grove Boardwalk, just 20 minutes from Port Renfrew. The Avatar Grove is one of the most easily accessible stands of old-growth trees in B.C. Hundreds of volunteers have been building a one-kilometer-long trail with sections of boardwalk, stairs, and platforms designed to both protect the tree roots and vegetation from foot traffic and enhance visitor safety and access. They had planned to finish this fall, but a storm knocked down dozens of trees last October, damaging the trail and the boardwalk. Well, for years now, White Rock has been going it alone when it comes to its water supply, drawing from its own aquifer instead of tapping into Metro Vancouver's supply. But some troubling new information about the quality of that water has some asking if maybe it's time to change. Ted Chernecki has the details. Welcome to White Rock, a city of about 20,000, whose residents have for decades and still do drink water from a large aquifer, also known as well water. And although the water at City Hall today looks clear, it in fact carries natural occurring chemicals like manganese associated with neurological disorders and arsenic, a known carcinogen. How much residents have consumed over the years is unclear, but the city wants it stopped or at least reduced. Now, I don't think we're going to be able to remove it completely, but we're certainly going to get that level down as far as we can. And that's only possible because the municipality finally owns all the pipes and pumps. Up until a couple of years ago, the utility had always been held by the private sector. For decades, no one had had decided to do anything about arsenic levels, but we wanted to do something about it. The municipality has started posting online water test results, and they show arsenic levels in particular, reaching very close and occasionally exceeding Health Canada guidelines. White Rock's solution? Use a $12 million grant and build a new filtration plant. But critics say the best solution is to tap into Metro Vancouver's main grid, not a stone's throw away. White Rock saw an opportunity for a cash cow, because when you run a water utility, every cost you make, you don't even have to manage it well. All the costs get offloaded onto the users. The problem is all those pipes under White Rock are now coated with manganese. Metro Vancouver's water, though pristine, is chlorinated. When you add chlorine into the system... It reacts with that manganese, creating brown water. Instead, White Rock switched to chloramine, which adds ammonia to keep its water clear. This is the place where they're adding the ammonia. Yeah. Because they they started adding ammonia in April. Taxpayers spent close to a billion dollars on that new filtration plant in Seymour, and critics say it's time for White Rock to tap into its benefits, even though by today's health guidelines, water from the aquifer is still considered safe to drink. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Some new census figures show the changing nature of Canada's families, including more single-person households and more young adults still living at home. Single-person households accounted for 28% of all households last year, the highest since Confederation. 
It's now the most common type of household, surpassing even couples with children. That's likely due to a combination of factors, the aging population, better pensions, more women in the workforce, and higher divorce or separation rates. And more young people aged 20 to 34 are living with their parents. Just over one-third across the country. Here in B.C., it's 34 percent, and that jumps to 39 percent in Metro Vancouver. The big factor here, affordability. Well, Japan lighting up the night on Saturday, the first competitor in the Honda Celebration of Light fireworks. They're going to go at it again tonight, although we'll find out who's competing now with Catherine Urquhart in English Bay. Catherine, it's the U.K.'s turn to dazzle the crowds. That's right, Chris. Approximately 300,000 people are expected to watch tonight's performance by the UK. And certainly the crowds here are starting to build. The Honda Celebration of Light gets underway at 10 o'clock and the smoke is not expected to have any kind of negative impact on the explosions. In fact, they're supposed to make them even more spectacular because the smoke is actually creating a darker background, Chris. All right. Well, that's uh, that's going to be encouraging for people to go down there. A couple of other other notes, too, um, about transit and also a way to help out the food bank. Mm-hmm, that's right. Well, good news if you're taking transit this evening. TransLink has actually added extra service. There will be more buses operating. The Expo and Millennium lines will run more frequently, as will uh, the C bus. We also want to mention that if you're heading down to Second Beach, you may wish to bring with you a non-perishable food item, and that's because the Greater Vancouver Food Bank is going to be collecting donations. Again, tonight's fireworks are at 10 o'clock. The performance hosted by the UK. Back to you. All right, Catherine, enjoy the show down there if you're going to stick around for it and for the rest of you as well. Peanut butter is always a good suggestion for the food bank. Appreciate and I'll get, judge, I'll get judgmental tonight. Yes, you will. You'll judge. be down. I know you'll be down there. And <laughs> judging the fireworks. <laughs> All right, the foul smell at Niagara Falls. There's an overwhelming, pungent smell up on the observation deck. Why thousands of tourists are getting more than they bargained for this week. And what caused the explosion that destroyed part of a private school in Minneapolis? Some amazing and frightening footage of a lightning strike that sent a Florida airport worker to hospital with serious injuries. A number of security cameras captured the lightning hitting the tail of a Sun Country Airlines jet. 21-year-old Austin Dunn was under the plane at the time and was thrown back by the jolt. The lightning traveling into his left hand and out of his right. He suffered third-degree burns and bleeding on his brain, but it's considered a miracle that he survived at all. He's actually out of hospital now, just two weeks after it happened. Firefighters in Minneapolis are trying to stabilize a partially collapsed school building, hoping to find a man believed to be buried under the rubble. Today's gas explosion sparked a fire at a private Christian school, killing the school's longtime receptionist. As Blake McCoy reports, it happened during summer classes. A massive explosion shattering the late morning quiet in this Minneapolis neighborhood. We also see now flames and fire and building collapse as well. A school, the historic Minnehaha Academy, torn apart by the blast. Those inside for summer classes scrambling to get out. Some holding on to each other in the darkened wreckage, finding their way to safety and into the arms of loved ones. I felt like we got bombed. 
Like that's, it was pretty big. It was a pretty big explosion. Nine people were rushed to the hospital. One school employee found dead beneath the rubble. Ruth Berg, a longtime assistant in the school office. Tonight, rescue crews are combing through the debris, trying to find another adult still missing. We need the gas company to respond as well to shut off the gas to the property. Early on, officials suspected and later confirmed the cause. We have been able to confirm that the uh, that the explosion, that the collapse was caused by a gas explosion. The blast sliced the brick building in half, scattering debris all over campus. Firefighters still monitoring hotspots tonight. Trauma for this tight-knit community, home to the school since 1913. I believe we're going to be even stronger. We're going to tie ourselves together, come in and um, build something stronger. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has ordered an investigation into why raw sewage was discharged near the base of Niagara Falls at the height of tourist season. The discharge turned the water black right where tourists board boats. Not only does it look bad, but it also smells nasty. The discharge was part of planned maintenance at the local wastewater treatment plant, but needless to say, the timing was terrible, and investigators are looking into whether it was safe or even legal. And this is about as close as you're hopefully ever going to get to seeing what it's like to be attacked by a shark. A marine researcher off the coast of Massachusetts catches the attention of a great white, which comes right out of the shadows and decides to lunge at his camera, giving us all a safe look inside a shark's mouth. It's all about research after all. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from scientists as we get ready for the August 21st solar eclipse. They're warning that fake eclipse glasses are flooding the market. The moon will block the sun for about three hours that day, although it will only last a little more than two minutes at any one location. The experts say real eclipse glasses meet ISO 123122 safety standards, have the company clearly labeled, and should be less than three years old. You should not be able to see anything through them except the sun. August 21st, mark it on your calendars. I have. You'll notice... When it happens, I'm quite certain, <laughs> especially around here. Okay, a spider makes a surprising appearance on Global's Morning News. Now we're going to continue with the dry spell and get the real heat. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa! How the camera-loving arachnid got the attention of one of the top late-night comedy shows, too. And at 96, maybe it's time to slow down a little. Prince Philip looks pretty good as he eases into retirement. More insight. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. An arrest has been made. More context. Disturbing undercover video came to light revealing the alleged abuse. Of More community. Warning today from search and rescue officials after two hikers were pulled off Mount Beautiful. More in-depth. The biggest price being paid by Surrey in bullets and in blood. More stories. More issues. More news. Global News. We are BC's News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, they nicknamed her Charlotte, the spider that surprised Mark Madriga and put him in front of an international audience last night. Coming up right after the weather forecast. Was it last night or Monday night? Might have been Monday night. Anyway. It was some night. We have a thing with spiders here on the spider Yeah, camp. I'm not comfortable with that. 
I know, it always like it. freaks you out. I don't like it at all. Yvonne? Yeah, she's a Charlotte. Charlotte. For me. She's Charlotte, and she's a resident spider on her tower cam. So we'll show you more. Oh, sorry, time, I didn't mean right? there. Yes, she just shows up. She's just, yeah, when she feels like it. She's camera shy right now, but I'm sure we'll have more of her very shortly. All right, good evening, everyone. Here's a look at her tower cam shot. We've got a layer of smoke right across Metro Vancouver and from many areas with an air quality advisory that is still in effect, and it will rain that day over the next few days. If you're heading out to the fireworks this evening, we'll still be able to see them and temperatures will be sitting anywhere between 18 to 20 degrees with a very light wind off of the water. 22 is the high with a northwesterly wind at 22 kilometers per hour. We did see some record highs with the heat um, unofficially over 10 so far. Hope one of the areas and the hot spot across the entire country today at 37.2. That's an unofficial number. Old record back in 1939 of 36 degrees. Port Alberni, Chilliwack included within that. White Rock also seeing that record heat today and we're seeing it for areas near Tofino and for Powell River as well. Here's a glance at what we are looking at, though, for the Almanac. So record for us would be 27. We were just up to 22. But inland in Abbotsford, that's where we saw temperatures today into the low 30s. Similar for the interior and another hot day for the central regions with Prince George topping out at 28 degrees. Ridge of high pressure, that's been the dominant feature. We're continuing to see, though, outflow winds. A slight risk tomorrow when we break down your regions. A slight risk of a thunderstorm, rather, will be for the peace or a chance of showers and then hot leading into your Saturday at 27. Whitehorse at 22 degrees, a range in temperatures on Saturday leading into the weekend up to 27, well above your average that sits at 20 for this time of the year. Coastal sections ranging between 20 inland, though, up to 29 into the low 30s for the weekend. Caribou and Central Interior with that widespread smoke up to 29 degrees for tomorrow, similar for Saturday. Columbia and Kootenai region, the heat is on tomorrow up to 30. 37 degrees, widespread smoke for the Thompson Okanagan, seeing a range between 34 and 35 degrees. Average for this time of the year sits at 27. Numbers for Whistler at 34, Pemberton at 37. So we're still tracking that heat leading into the weekend with the smoky conditions and haze right across the south coast, especially for inland sections along the water. We'll see a range in temperatures once again for tomorrow between 26, inland at 33. Still more, two more hot days for us across Metro Vancouver. A Slight reprieve as we get in towards the weekend. And we are looking at an announcement this evening. Uh, for us, a happy anniversary for William and Dorothy McKenzie, celebrating their 73rd wedding anniversary So from Princeton. So congratulations to you. It's We Love Water Wednesday. Today's Water Wise photo is sent to us from Carol Berman. She collects and reuses kitchen gray water. This is a great idea by collecting the water in an old kettle. That So when she rinses her vegetables or runs the hot water, she says she collects it all instead. Instead of using fresh water for her dishes, she puts them in the dish that she would put in the dishwasher or for the garden. She uses the water that she collects from there. So great suggestion. And send us your We Love Water Wednesday photos to the email address below. And if you'd like more ideas of weather wise, tips rather you can go to we love water.ca it's a mouthful lots of w's in there <laughs> yes and what no. a great a great tip from carol and now i'm thirsty yeah as you should be. <laughs> all right our own mark rodriga has had his version of the christy gordon spider moment to go viral earlier this weekend eight-legged interloper interrupted his weather forecast that's our show for tonight thank you so much for tuning in join us tomorrow night at 11 now here it is your moments of zen not an, uh, an extremely hot summer so far. Yes, we've had some hot days here in the south coast, many in the B.C. interior, of course. Uh, but it's the prolonged dry spell. And now we're going to continue with the dry spell and get the real heat. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I just like his laugh. He's such a clown. 
All right. Well, he made it. A- <laughs> That's one way of describing. <laughs> I love it. Last segment of the show. It was a moment of yep. giggles, I think. Mm. Like uh, yeah. And we mentioned the original Christie Spider moment, too, which was way back in 2013, the day her life changed forever. And she went viral as well. They're both on our website if you want to search them, <laughs> search them up. Christie's is uh, June 25th, 2013. And then the spiders around the studio. Mm. Our problem <laughs> That's is. right. All right. I don't know how you managed to do it in this hot studio, but you're cool as a cucumber in for Squire. We're, we're uh, cool characters in the sports department. You guys yeah, have always. good air. You're taking all this building today? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody. It's the uh, catch that everybody is talking about today. What a play by Austin oh. Jackson. <laughs> that just might be the play of the year. You decide if it's worthy of Catch of the Year. We're also going to check in with your Vancouver Whitecaps, BC Lions, and breaking news regarding Andre de Grasse. Also tonight, he's been on the job for 65 years, but this may be the last time we see Prince Philip at work. Jays in four squares. Tonight. Yep, thank you very much. Uh, evening, everybody. Nothing like rebounding from a lackluster home effort by heading out on the road and scorching one of the top sides in the West. Vancouver Whitecaps went into Dallas and swatted FC Dallas 4 0. First ever win and first ever points by the Caps in Dallas. We'll see what they can come up with this weekend when they play in Colorado. I was pleased for the players because, you know, the group of players that have been here since I've been here, we've yet to achieve a point in Dallas. We know how difficult it is with the heat and the conditions. So, credit to them. They deserve a lot of credit. Uh, I set them up and organized them, but, you know, they were the ones who played. So, it was satisfying. It was three points, uh, probably the three points that we lost the, the previous week, uh, which we had to make up. But, good all round performance. Absolutely spectacular as Mesquita comes off the bench, makes an immediate impact. There will be no fastest man showdown between Usain Bolt and Canada's Andre de Grasse at the upcoming World Championships. Athletics Canada confirming de Grasse tore his hamstring while training on Monday. He had a second opinion today confirming the tear. De Grasse says he's in the best shape of his life. He's a huge medal threat in both the 100 and 200 meters. Andre de Grasse out of the upcoming World Track and Field Championships. BC Lions back on the practice field today. Lions are at home for the front end of back-to-backs against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. BC's had a tough time in Edmonton last week, and we all saw it. They had trouble containing Mike Riley. Saturday, they will face Kevin Glenn. Beals have the manpower to get the job done. Look for a stronger pass rush against the Riders. And watch BC's secondary hone in on Kevin Glenn and his targets. Lions DBs are some of the best in the league. The 11-year man. And Defensive backs are all about making the big play. Be it a clutch interception, knockdown, or hit. The thing about DBs, they're more than happy to let you and everybody in the stadium know about their playmaking abilities. I mean, that's just kind of the mentality DBs have to have. Uh, always one play at a time. Don't worry about the past. Um, they got to stay in your head a little bit, you know? Certain stuff you see, like you see a receiver, you know what, what routes he's running, you're going to tell him, like, I knew you were running that, bro. You know you can't do this on me, of course. I mean, that's confidence. That come with the DB position. That come with defense. You got confidence. You got a game. It's a combination of mentality and DNA. These guys are wired into being the ultimate ball hounds. Give them a sniff at making that play, and they're all over it. And once they've known they've gotten into your kitchen, they'll rattle those mental pots and pans all day long. To me, when you see a man's wheel breaking, you're going to go at him. Like, that's my objective. I'm trying to break your wheel every time I'm out there. I don't, you're not on my team. Like, 
we not friends. We could be buddy buddy after the game where you go back to wherever you at. But in that in that moment in time, got to go to work. We had a saying in my college: um, "Big man run and little men hitting." So like you kind of want those guys hitting and talking trash to people, man. It, it makes the game fun. Darian scrambling out now, throws it up and it is picked off. You will never win a war of words with DBs either. So it's best to not make eye contact with them, let alone engage them at the line of scrimmage. He is he talking? Is he settling out? Then I let him know I'm here now. So once you start that, once you wait that on that dog up, you get to going now. So it all depends how the receiver come off. I mean, if he be coming off with the, the aggressiveness, I mean, I'm I'm gonna bark back and let him know now. He just started up a fire. I'm, I'm gonna put it out. Not you. Going for two, trying to make it an 11 point lead. Picked off by Buddy Jackson. I love you guys. That's pick number one. Had to give the DBs the last word. Miguel Montero starting for the Blue Jays today. Toronto on the diamond for the 20th straight day following the All-Star break. That's working overtime. Justin Smokes in the groove right now, extending his hitting streak to nine games. Reached base three times. Doubles in to the gap. Josh Donaldson easily scoring from first base. Gave the Jays an early 1-0 lead. Well, White Sox, Tyler. Salandino working the hot corner, gets his hand on Montero, scribbler up the line, bare hands it to first. Throw it across his body. They initially called him safe, but reviewed and said, yeah, that's a good out. Blue Jays went yard twice this afternoon. Steve Pearson, Josh Donaldson, and this one's Gwen Stefani. No doubt, it's gone. Deep. Yeah, he's on fire. 438 feet. Jays win 5 1. They're five and a half games out of a wild card spot. All right, now with the baseball season that runs 162 games deep, we all see our fair share, our share of decent plays. Last night, Cleveland Indians outfielder Austin Jackson delivered up some leather larceny in Boston, and it's worthy of an APB robbery call. Great hitter, too. Andre, switch hitter at that. There's a long slide ball, deep center field. Jackson's back. He leaps. He made an unbelievable catch. He flipped into the bullpen. Did he hang on? That's the only question at this point. He sure did. What a play by Austin oh. Jackson. That just might be the play of the year. My goodness. This might be the best time play you'll ever see. What a tremendous play. And football news for people in Kamloops. UBC is going to kick off their football season against Alberta August 23rd at Hillside Stadium. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, there you okay. go. Thanks right. a lot, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll keep an eye on the fireworks tonight and have all the highlights for you. Plus, have you seen this guy? RCMP say 45-year-old Nanaimo prisoner David Blackmore escaped custody yesterday while at his mother's funeral in Port Alberni. We'll tell you how he made his brazen exit and what he was serving time for. And how often do you see this? We're getting a rare glimpse into a grizzly bear's dental surgery. Eight-year-old Canute broke his canine tooth and needed a root canal. We'll tell you how his handlers at the BC Wildlife Park in Kamloops made it happen. Those stories are more coming up tonight at 11. Poor bear, a root canal of all things. Go figure. Does he get, like, the candy from the dentist after that, do you think? I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully some floss. Thanks, J.D. All right. Uh, what do you do after seven decades of service? Well, you start easing into retirement. <laughs> a royal appearance for the history books when we come back. It is indeed the end of an era for the elder statesman of the royal family today in London. 
Prince Philip met with a group of Royal Marines at Buckingham Palace for his last solo public appearance. He'll still appear at the Queen's side from time to time, but this was his final appearance on his own. Philip, of course, has racked up some impressive numbers during his career. The 96-year-old prince has had 22,219 public engagements. That includes 637 solo overseas visits to 143 countries. And he has delivered about 5,500 speeches. Wow. So it's, wow. I think it's time for a little vacation. I think maybe it is. He's 96 and my son is six today. Happy birthday, oh, William. Yay. Daddy loves you. <laughs> Happy birthday.